I would like to introduce Janemann Nordhagen from Dimbulb Games, developer of Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, which launched yesterday on Steam. Hopefully you're picking that up, and if not, you can learn more about the game by talking to Janemann. We'll have a Q&A at the end, so hold your questions if you have any. And we will start with the background, the beginning. So tell me about oh, your background good. and how you started. I, I heard you started in QA, and, and don't skimp on the Bioshock and Gone Home parts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I I started my career in the game industry uh, as a QA tester for Sony, uh, and the way that consoles work is uh, when a game is done, they, they kind of submit it to the, the console makers uh, for final approval. It's a process that, that all the big big three have. Um, and so I was I was in that department, and um, I got to see a lot of games that were finished or thought they were finished come in for their final approval from Sony, and uh, it was a really interesting experience. Um, I knew very little about the game industry before starting that job, and uh, that is a really good place to start if you kind of want to see how the sausage is made, you know? Um, it, you get to see things that are almost done, but you get to see the, the last little bits go in, and uh, it's really interesting because it teaches you how uh, a game is not done until the very, very final minute, usually. <laughs> and uh, uh, Swoop in and save things. After, a giant uh, bug. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So after QA, um, I was lucky enough to, uh, to uh, be kind of hired into the research and development department at Sony. Um, because uh, I was a software engineer, and so I uh, moved from QA into there and started working with a lot of really cool technology. Uh, this was just as the PS2 was sort of uh, not exactly fading away, but the PS3 was on the horizon, and it was it was going to be the next cool thing. And uh, so we had these giant metal boxes two power supplies we called them shreks because they were so huge uh, and those are the PS3 uh, the first the very first PS3 uh, units and I got to work with those and uh, learn how to program for them and do all this cool stuff with that um, and uh, because of my experience working with the PS3 so early on uh, when 2K Marin was looking for folks to help them port uh, Bioshock to the PS3, um, I got hired to do that, and that was really great because that was my first time working on an actual game team, uh, you know, which is what I, of course, always wanted to do, but uh, sometimes we take roundabout paths to get there. Um, so I got to work on, uh, on this amazing game, uh, Bioshock, and then uh, got to work on the sequel as well, and then I became a, more of a gameplay programmer um, for Bioshock 2. And I got to work a little bit uh, as well at 2K Marine on a game called uh, The Bureau XCOM Declassified. Um, but I didn't finish that one out. Uh, instead, I, I left 2K and moved up to Oregon with a few of my uh, fellow coworkers there. Um, and we founded the Fulbright Company uh, and worked for uh, about a year and a half uh, making Gone Home. And so that was, uh, three of us founded the company, uh, me, Steve, and Carla, I was the programmer. Um, and then uh, we got joined by, by Kate a little bit later and uh, we made that game, which of course was a, an experience all, all in itself. That was a, a wonderful time to be an indie game developer, of course. Um, but after, after that, I, uh, 
um, decided to go do something different. And so here I am, uh, just released Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, the first first game from Dimbald Games. Yeah. So how many games have you officially launched in your career overall? Uh, you know, so it's kind of surprising, uh, even when I think about this, because I've been in the game industry for over 15 years now. Um, but in that time, I've launched uh, the PS3 version of Bioshock, Bioshock 2, and some DLC for it, uh, and then Gone Home, and now Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. So what is that? That's like four games or yeah, something like that? Yeah, you don't count the DLC. So that's, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, um, uh, in some ways that seems uh, a little low for 15 years, but for a lot of that time I was doing uh, back-end sort of stuff. And, you know, games, they just take a long time to make. Yeah. Where the Water Tastes Like Wine has been in development for over three years now, so... That that happens. Yeah. Well, how do the experiences differ? I guess depending on the role you're in. Like, do you have? I mean, obviously, this game is very close to your heart. But compared to, I guess, like let's say Bioshock is your first real official game. Like, do you still have that same level mm -hmm. of excitement, or how does it differ when it's your own? Uh, it is definitely very different. Like, uh, being a part of a team uh, at a place like 2K is a really neat experience, and it's it's fantastic. But at the end of the day, you're kind of uh, one person among many, and I felt a lot of pride for the the games that I worked on and and that we released there. Um, but it wasn't my vision; it was me helping, you know, me and a whole team of people helping to realize uh, kind of a collective vision, or or you know, the creative director's vision, or whatever it whatever it turned out to be. And um, this game is very different in that this was my idea from the beginning and I sort of contacted everybody else who worked on the game and I, I got them to do their work and put in their contributions and uh, sort of had total responsibility for everything uh, from the beginning, which is nice in some ways, but as you can imagine is also incredibly terrifying, right? You know, it's, it's a lot to have on, on your shoulders. Well, now we, we can move on to where the water tastes like wine because we're already there. So, first of all, have you ever regretted the title length? Oh, gosh, you know... <laughs> I uh, love abbreviating this. Yes, there's there's definitely... So it, it doesn't abbreviate particularly well because if you do WTWTLW, that's actually <laughs> longer than just saying where the water tastes like wine. Um, and it's hard. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, there there were definitely times early on uh, when people would like come up to me at parties and say things like, "Oh, you're making that that wine game, right? <laughs> like where the water turns to wine, or wine tastes like water, or like people would come up with all sorts of ridiculous permutations on the title." But because of the meaning of the title and what it what it says about the game and the themes and Everything else, I still think it's the perfect title for the game. I, I wouldn't change it if I could. Excellent. Well, for those in the stream, I realize that the cam uh, is not necessarily the highest of quality. We have some latency and some other stuff, but the sound is good, and hopefully you can still see Yanam's smiling, bearded face and enjoy that. So, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Uh, Let's break that down, because you were talking about the title. Um, for those who haven't played the game, that really kind of ties in. Can you kind of give a summary of the game for people? Yeah, of course. 
So Where the Water Tastes Like Wine is a game about traveling and telling stories. And what you do is you, you wander across the U.S. Uh, kind of in the, the Great Depression era of the United States, and you have little adventures that give you stories. And uh, you carry these stories with you. And when you meet characters, you can sit across the fire from them and sort of trade stories. You tell them a story about love, for example, or or about sadness, and they'll tell you something from their life about love or about sadness. And when you tell someone a story, they'll tell it to someone else, and they'll tell it to someone else, and so on and so forth. And eventually you'll start to hear your own stories come back to you, except they'll be changed. They'll be bigger and weirder and more interesting, and they'll be better stories. Um, and that's because that's what folk tales do, right? Uh, people people take them and they tell them and they add their own little bits to them. And you know, from a from a tiny true thing, eventually you grow a really wild, interesting folk tale. Um, awesome. Star Garden so, is telling you the story has grown in the telling. Where the water turns into water is the new modified story for where the water tastes like wine. It's come back to you. <laughs> Good, yeah, hey, that's a really good example. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That's exactly what telling stories in the game is like. Yes. Okay, so uh, telling stories is something that's kind of unusual, and I understand that after Gone Home, you took some time to kind of wander around uh, everywhere, and I heard Siberia mentioned as well, camels even. <laughs> so do you have some traveling highlights that you'd like to share with people? This sounds like a wild adventure of your own. Oh, it was absolutely a wild adventure, and it, it, this is what inspired the game, really. And yeah, the, oh, there's so many highlights, but um, definitely like sleeping in a cave in Turkey, uh, riding camels in the Sahara in Morocco, um, watching the sunrise at uh, close to 10,000 feet in the uh, in the Annapurna Range. Uh, it was. A really spectacular, spectacular journey, um, and I'm so glad that I got to do it. Um, and I, I hope that the game, even though it's set in a totally different time and a totally different place, captures some of that magic of of having those experiences and, and seeing those things, meeting people, and, and exchanging experiences with them. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, I'm going to take a pause because I think you have to make another game now. <laughs> that's not necessarily US-based. <laughs> the one. Yeah, it's that yeah, one. Yeah, the one about traveling around the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that would be a lot of fun. Although, honestly, uh, one of the interesting things about traveling uh, around the world is you, you start to realize uh, how much time you do spend traveling and, and the kind of space there is between places. One of the, one of the goals that I had in doing this trip was to not take planes whenever I could avoid it um, because I feel like planes are uh, they're almost like teleportation right you kind of uh, you step into this thing and a little while later you step out somewhere else and you don't see what has what has passed in between you're just all of a sudden somewhere new that's true you don't get a feel of the distance you've traveled by any means Right, exactly. So I took a lot of trains and I took a lot of boats and buses and things like that. Um, and it's really fantastic because it really feels like you're, you can tell that you've traveled a long way when you spend a week on a ship crossing the Atlantic or uh, a week on a train across Siberia, you know, uh, or, or any of these things. Like you, you get a sense for, 
really how big places are. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope that the game captures some of that too, you know, that sort of loneliness of of the travel and and the the scale of it you know it makes it should feel like you're crossing distances it does and i think that's one of the things about the actual mechanics of the game of getting from place to place some people will say oh this takes a long time to walk well it's a very big country so it does and you know that that's something you kind of get from the yep. game for sure that you know there is a lot of traveling and that takes you know time <laughs> yeah absolutely yep <laughs> So why choose the U.S. Uh, for the site of this game, and particularly the Depression era? And I'm going to guess it might have something to do with your love of trains and the fact that transportation was quite different back then. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I do I do love trains, and transportation was was different back then. I really so I was I was I came up with the idea for this game on this train in Siberia, and I was trying to think of what I would want to make a game about. And traveling was, of course, you know top of the list right then it was it was the first thing on my mind because I'd been doing so much of it um, but another thing that I that I really love and have always loved is American roots music um, bluegrass and blues and folk and things like that and I, I wondered if there was a way I could you know combine both of those and I thought well of course uh, the the kind of hobo era of hopping boxcars and riding the rails of the US like that is that's travel in kind of its most essential form you know like that's the the most romantic vision of travel that we have in this country is the freedom of uh slinging your bindle over your shoulder and hopping on a boxcar and going wherever the winds might take you right and of course the romanticized version is very different from the truth uh but i wanted to try and capture maybe both sides of that uh, uh capture the the freedom that it might feel to be a hobo in the Great Depression era, but also capture the reality of the time, which was that it was a pretty rough time to be alive, uh, you know, and if you were a hobo, it was not by choice, always, ever, uh, but it was <laughs> ever, yeah. because, because you were struggling, you know, it was because there wasn't any work where you were, and you were trying to feed yourself for your family, and you were, you were one of these... Uh, dispossessed people wandering the U.S. Uh, there were something like two million homeless people displaced during the Great Depression, and uh, you know, it was, a, it was a tough time to be around and be poor in the U.S. I am trying to play some of the music in the background for those of you who see me kind of fussing a little bit um, so you can hear that a little bit while he's talking. Hopefully it's not overwhelming him. But yeah, we will get to the, the album uh, the Ryan Ike contribution here as we go on all right and that's that's what this brings us to the small circle of creativity in this industry so how how did you meet ryan uh composer for everyone who doesn't know and end up with such a talented group of basically artists and writers and a whole variety of people yeah you know it, it uh it's amazing to me every time i look at the list of people who contributed to this game and, and helped me make it um, it's it's just phenomenal the the amount of talent that's there uh, and uh, Ryan specifically was interesting because he reached out to me uh, he found me um, I can't remember how exactly but we we connected via the internet first and he was uh, he saw that I was coming to PAX and he wanted to 
grab uh, a drink while we were there, you know, get some coffee and talk. And I saw that he had, uh, you know, been the composer on Gunpoint, which is a game I enjoyed. And so I said, oh, sure. And we talked. And he just is incredibly, incredibly smart guy who knows a ton about music. And he was so excited about the ideas behind the game and the sort of inspiration that I'd drawn from this this folk music, the American uh, music that I wanted to capture. Um, and he was just so excited about it and so passionate. And uh, we we hit it off big time right there. And I'm so glad that he was was on the game. For everybody else, it was a variety of things. Uh, the first writer I talked to was uh, Gita Jackson, who's amazing. Um, and she wrote, uh, actually, two of the characters in the game. Um, uh, she was she was fantastic. She really helped us uh, figure out what the characters were like, what the, the stories, how to tell stories in the kind of strange way that we do with the dialogue and, and giving you little bits and pieces here so it's a mystery to kind of uncover their, their full story um, and then from there on I, I reached out to other writers I knew um, and tried to bring them in, I got a lot of really talented folks like Kara uh, Ellison and Lee Alexander uh, uh, Matt Burns uh, some really amazing people and then uh, as, as my direct network kind of dried up I I had those folks, you know, reach out to their friends, and uh, I reached out via Twitter, and I contacted, you know, all of the writers. There's a total of, uh, I think, 24 writers total in the game um, who contributed, which is, which is huge. You know, there's no, no game like that, especially not an indie game, um, and it's been really great. Every one of them is incredibly talented, and I'm so, so glad to have them contributing to the game. It's really fun to see the fan reactions at conventions with playtesting, especially when people kind of see the game for the first time. Do you have any moments that stick out to you? I know we were together at PAX, I guess, Prime, uh, for showing. Uh, Tell us, Yonaman, tell us a story. (laughs) That was actually, that is my absolute favorite part of that show, was (laughs) that when we had too many people... Playing, yeah, yeah, we'd have a line, and that booth was just amazing. Good Shepherd did did such a fantastic job uh, creating and setting up that booth. Um, for anyone who didn't get to see it, it was sort of this grassy field uh, with a beautiful backdrop. Um, but on the grass, we had uh, a, a sort of fake campfire set up with hay bales around it, and there were fruit crates full of real fruit uh, that people could take and eat uh, with stickers of the game on it. It was wonderful. But what we do is, is as people, uh, there were too many people playing the game uh, for, you know, the too many uh, people there who wanted to play the game, and so we had a line. And what we do is we'd have those people sit down on the hay bales, and I'd sit down also, and I'd just talk about the game. You know, they'd, they'd ask questions, or I'd, I'd just give the presentation, and it was just like sitting around a campfire, uh, you know, as you might have done camping as a kid or, or as an adult or anything, and just telling stories uh, about things, except in this case it was the story of the game and what you do in it and, and everything like that. And it was just such a wonderful time. It was really great. Do you find that when you're traveling, um, maybe it varies in different cultures, but people are really kind of 
isolated and insular when they're traveling and don't often kind of look at anyone else. And I would imagine that storytelling in our current era is probably a lot more difficult than it was back then where you had no cell phone or nothing to entertain you except your passengers and no <laughs> Yeah, probably. Um, I think that's, that's true of the majority of people. One thing that I found when I was traveling was that there's there's actually a separate kind of sub-community of, of travelers, like people who are not just going from place to place, but who are doing, like I was doing, you know, wandering around the place, who, who enjoy that. And you could meet a lot of people who were really interesting, um, who were just happened to be on the boat with you or on the train with you or whatever sort of thing. And they, they were always really eager to meet travelers from different places and, and share stories. Uh, so that was, that was a big part of the inspiration for the game. Uh, I met people like um, a couple who had worked in a yacht galley for passage across the Pacific Ocean. Like it was them and a few other people on this boat, you know, it was some some guy's yacht and uh, and they were just there cooking in, and, and doing uh, other like boat tasks uh, to work, to earn passage across the ocean, which seemed like such a thing that I didn't know existed still in our, in this year, you know, uh, in our time. Um, and I met a, a woman from Japan who had been on the road for five years. You know, she she didn't really live anywhere. She had just been traveling for that long. Uh, and lots of people, actually, who had been out there for months, years, a long time, just wandering from place to place. And it was it was really interesting. Uh, you'd kind of you'd meet someone and then go your separate ways, and then maybe later sometime else on the trip, you'd run into them again because they happened to be going to the same place or whatever, and uh, that sort of, uh, I don't know, lucky coincidence really inspired the meetings in the game where you get to meet these characters who are traveling around the U.S. also and, and share stories with them. Gotcha. So have you ever jumped a train, you can be honest? <laughs> I haven't, you know. I really, <laughs> I really, really to. want to try it. Yeah, I do. It's, it's of course illegal, um, but there's people who do it. And when I started uh, the research for this game, I actually found even a, uh, uh, I think it was, it was probably Vice, but there was some like video uh, journalism thing of some reporters who had decided to hop a hop a train and go to the Hobo Convention, which still happens every year somewhere in Ohio I think or Idaho I don't know um, and it was just really fascinating you know and uh, it's it's not possible people still do it I've met people who who ride the rails um, it's not nearly as prevalent as it was and it's probably not as fun you don't get to hop in big empty box cars and hang out with the uh, five of your fellow hobos or anything you kind of have to to lie on the little access area on the back of one of those big tanker or, or other you know ca uh, freight carrying things and and whatnot uh, and of course there's always the risk of death or getting arrested or you know other unpleasant things like that but if it wasn't uh, <laughs> if it wasn't risky it wouldn't be fun right so. <laughs> okay so moving on to Good Shepherd how did you meet us and what's the process of working with a publisher like I'd imagine that you probably have done that before in these other four games um so it actually uh Bioshock was published uh the studio was owned by 2K and it was published by 2K so that's kind of a different thing because it was an internal publishing arrangement and also being like 
a gameplay programmer. It's not like I had a lot of interaction <laughs> with the publishing side of things. Um, and then Gone Home, we, we self-published. So uh, this is my first experience with the full, kind of the full range of publishing things. But it's been really, really spectacular. I mean, I talked about the, the booth at PAX, um, and there's things like that. Obviously, uh, Sting, our friend, <laughs> uh, the wolf uh, in the game, uh, that absolutely would never, ever have happened without Good Shepherd being involved. Um, I don't, I don't know Sting personally. Uh, I don't just have his number to give him a call and be like, "Hey, do you want to be in be in a video game?" Um, yeah. So that was amazing. How did you, actually, how did you sit first, on that? Uh, I gotta say, before you go on, how did you just sit oh, on that? Gosh. That yeah, was so it was, hard. It was not so to say. so hard. And yeah, and I didn't believe it for the longest time either. Like I just sort of <laughs> we're just lying to you. You know, it was like it was a possibility, and I was like, oh yeah, right, that'll happen. You know, and then and it actually like kind of seemed to start happening, and I was like, oh yeah, that'll happen. You know, and then and then it actually, you know, it, it did happen, and I still kind of was like, is this is this real? Did this? Did I just? Wow, <laughs> you know, it was it was something else. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no worries. Yeah, oh, so I was going to uh, talk about um, first meeting Good Shepherd. Yeah, first getting introduced. And it was it was actually really interesting because uh, we had been invited to show the game at uh, South by Southwest. And uh, uh, Sydney uh, was the um, was running the, the games portion of the show at that point. Um, Sydney Metrum, who works at also uh, at Good Shepherd. And uh, when she saw the game... Uh, and when some other people saw the game at the show, uh, they reached out, and it was kind of perfect timing because we had just begun looking for a publisher. Uh, we'd sort of realized that the game would be a lot better if we had some more resources. Like, for example, we we really, really wanted to do voice acting, and it was just not something that we could pull off on our own. Um, and obviously, like that was a great idea because the voice acting in the game is one of my favorite parts. I, I can't believe the phenomenal talent we got to do this and, and how well it turned out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's where the conversation started, and then it went good places from there, and, yeah, I'm super happy that we're working together. Awesome. There's been a lot of speculation about the different characters, the 16 characters in the game, um, specifically Quinn. Um, do you can you tell people how they were inspired and maybe more about them? Whatever you feel comfortable saying. Sure. Yeah. Like I don't want to spoil too much because, of course, uh, the joy in the game is in discovering these characters' stories and and who they are. Um, but I, of course, you know, one of the very first characters that I knew we had to have in the game uh, from the very beginning was a hobo, right? You know, I mean, you got you got to have one. Um, and I began thinking about about that and doing research uh, for all the characters. Actually, I did uh, did a bunch of research. I did both historical things and I read like fictional stuff and everything like that. And um, for Quinn, I read uh, the the most influential book was one called uh, "Sister of the Road," which is a supposed to be an autobiography of a uh, female hobo during the Great Depression era um, and it's full of really interesting stuff and it turns out it isn't actually an autobiography it was written by someone else uh, and it's a 
sort of fictionalized story, but it's really well researched and it has a lot of fantastic details in it um, that that inspired me. Uh, but another big one was a, a documentary, a PBS documentary actually called Riding the Rails, and it's about um, these kids in the Great Depression. What would happen is uh, families were kind of everybody was was poor and starving, and they were unable to feed all of their children. So they would take uh, kind of the oldest children the, and decide, hey, you're you're probably old enough to fend for yourself. Um, <laughs> okay. Why don't you go out there and and make a make a life for yourself uh, instead of being here and eating our stuff, you know? Um, and that seems amazing and callous and cruel to us wow. now. Uh, and it, you know, it was it was back then too, of course. You know, these kids were like. 12, 13, uh, whatever, and, and being sent off to do this. Um, at the time, there was a little less of a... There was less distance between um, that time and not so long before when kids were farmhands or, you know, factory workers or, you know, child labor was a thing. And, uh, you know, so it was... It was maybe slightly more understandable, but it's still an awful thing to do to a child, especially with everybody else out there on the roads, uh, you know, seeking their fortune. Uh, it was undoubtedly an incredibly rough world to be pushed out into, and so that was that was why Quinn is a kid. Is you know this idea that at that age you might just get shoved out by your family and, and thrown out there, and what would that what would that look like? Like, who would you who would you be, and what would how would you feel? Uh, you know, growing up as a hobo. Yeah. Well, clearly there would be respect. <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. Lots uh, of respect. You can tell. Yeah, you can tell that Quinn uh, Quinn's a little prickly, especially at the beginning there. Yeah. Okay, so will you make more games as Dimbulb? Have to ask, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I would really love to. Um, you know, it, it always, of course, depends on on how well things go. Uh, the game has been really well received so far, and I'm super, super happy about that. Um, but uh, you know, as always, uh, we gotta gotta succeed once before you can do it again. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Gotcha. Okay, so we're going to open things to Q&A in a second. So uh, I know I'm, I'm getting on caffeine that maybe you're having some trouble hearing me. I will fix that in post, but there's nothing I can do now. The interview's pretty much over. So if you have any questions uh, for Yanaman and you'd like to get them out here now, we have a couple people, not too many in chat. Uh, otherwise, we'll probably wrap it up. But while they're thinking of those questions, where can people find the game? And is vinyl going to make a comeback? <laughs> oh yes, um, yeah. So the game uh, you can purchase on Steam at uh, uh, just search for "Where the Water Tastes Like Wine." Um, there's also a link from our site at wherethewatertasteslikewine.com. Uh, you can also find it though uh, in a couple other places. It's on Itch, and uh, I believe it's on Good Shepherd has it. Good Shepherd games. the other day too. But oh yeah, and Good and Shepherd. GOG. Uh, go there too, and yes, it's it. it will be, be soon as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Will be soon. Yeah, it's not it's not up right now, but uh, hopefully very shortly. Uh, so yeah, and then vinyl. So uh, I have a record player, and uh, I collect records, which is great because <laughs> we uh, yesterday announced uh, pre-orders for the vinyl edition of the soundtrack for Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, 
um, which is just spectacular. It is so gorgeous. Uh, it's it's two records because the soundtrack is enormous, um, and it's got a cover specially designed by Kellen Jett, who's the illustrator who kind of defined the style for where the water tastes like wine and did a lot of our characters and, and things like that. So of course it's, it's just a beautiful cover, beautiful package all in all. Um, and you can find that at lacedrecords.com, I believe. Yes. Yeah, no, it is. I'm, I'm excited, but I have a Silvertone record player. So we're talking like 1910, uh-huh. 1920s. It will just <laughs> scratch the heck out of that record. So I can't play it. I might have yeah, to buy it's a so, record. It's so appropriate. <laughs> See, <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I wish. Right. <laughs> okay, Stargarded asks, what's your favorite kind of wine? Thanks. Oh, wow. Gosh. You know, yeah. Uh, I have to admit that I am not much of a wine aficionado. <laughs> like, I, I definitely drink it, but I do not know what I'm doing. I can't really tell the difference between one thing or another, and I buy the wine that has the label that uh, calls out to me the most. To uh-huh, the the art so, is what draws you to pick the wine. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all judging the book by the cover right there. Uh, but, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I have often wanted, and I may someday, create a tasty where it someone stands in front of a bowl of water, waves their hands, and there's wine. And that's the recipe for where the water <laughs> tastes like wine. But, no, apparently no <laughs> wine. Does anyone else have a question that they would like to ask Yanaman before we... Hang on. Before we... uh. Before we wrap up. Okay. I, I don't think so. Oh, wait. What's your favorite vignette? Of, of the 200. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's a, wow, that's a hard question to answer. So, the vignettes, for anyone who isn't familiar, um, those are these little adventures that you have as you wander around. Um, you, you experience these things, and you get to make some choices, and you get a story out of it in the end. Um, and so we call those vignettes... Uh, uh, that's the our name for them. Um, and yeah, there's over 200 of them, uh, so that's a lot to choose from. And then also, the people who wrote them are just some of the most talented writers that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. So there's a lot of really good stuff out there. Um, there's one about a raven and a salmon that I really enjoy uh that's that's spectacular um there's uh an incredibly touching one about uh some lighthouse keepers um it's very early in the game so i think people will will know what i'm talking about if they've played the game uh and then there's a few from like kind of the the classic american tales that i really really like um one of my favorite American stories is uh, the story of Taylor Poe and uh, you can you can find Taylor Poe in the game and and see the seeds of that one and it's incredibly creepy and really well done uh, I think there's probably oh gosh um, there's another one that's called uh, unending hunger and uh, I'm not even going to try and describe uh-huh. that one because it would spoil it, but it's uh, really gruesome, very gross, and terrifying, and uh, I really hope that people find and enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, can we get any outtakes or blooper reels from the voice actors? I, I don't know, Gulnoise. 
Oh gosh, you know that's an amazing question. I wish that, uh, like we we have of course all the raw recordings, but the disappointing answer is that these are all incredible professionals, <laughs> and for most of them, it was just like I never corrected anything. They just sort of went through the script and did a fantastic job on their very first takes. So, unfortunately, they're just too good, and there aren't really a lot of bloopers that came out of it. Um, there is, there's a little bit of an ad-lib that uh, Sting did, actually, uh, in his recording, um, that I've kind of saved, and I don't know what, if anything, is going to happen to that one, but uh, I really, I, I treasure that one a lot, because that's, uh, that's an interesting thing to have. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank you, uh, Yanaman, and everyone else who's watching. And you will be able to see this up on YouTube on Good Shepherd uh, Entertainment's YouTube channel probably tomorrow if it's not extensive to edit. And uh, yeah, make sure to pick up the game. It is on sale currently. I believe it's 15% off until March 7th because this is launch week and we're super excited. So pick that up um, now if you're planning to pick it up at all because this is a good time. So thank you guys, and uh, and we'll see you next Thursday on our usual 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time streaming channel.